you ready, eager young space cadet? Meep, meep. I call a pussy supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello, and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and with me today is a pop culture influencer. She has articles in Playboy Magazine, AV Club, and The Hollywood Reporter. I'm here with Joelle Monique. Hey! Super excited to be here. Uh, We've needed a Looney Tunes podcast. It's necessary. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I agree. How are you doing today? Uh, pretty good. We just watched a bunch of Looney Tunes cartoons, we so did. it's hard to complain. And it's a holiday. It's like, it's great. And there were tacos involved. Tacos. It's, is there a better day? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> All you need are Looney Tunes and tacos uh, to make any day great. New slogan. <laughs> um, so we're here to talk about music. Greetings, music lovers. what makes music great and how it relates to the entire franchise and every iteration of the Looney Tunes and how they interact with it. Obviously it came from uh, Warner Brothers having their own orchestra that the animation uh, studio was able to utilize. Uh, That's why we have such great Carl Starling uh, pieces for almost every, if not every classic Looney Tunes episode. Um, And uh, yeah, so how has the music of Looney Tunes infected your life? Man, uh, I feel like if I think back on watching Looney Tunes, it's the music you remember almost more than the lines. You've got some iconic lines or or lines that are used perpetually or repeatedly um, that obviously stick out. But it's, uh, for me, it was like my first introduction to operas is my... First introduction outside of maybe Fantasia to classical music. Um, I got into Looney Tunes as a kid because uh, my dad would watch the old ones. He like the first DVD set that was released of classic Looney Tunes. We watched those things on repeat. Uh, so yeah, it it sticks out. It's memorable. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also grew up with Looney Tunes, and I remember learning, you know, audibly like what it sounds like, what Mozart sounds like or, Mm-mm. or Bach. And like, whenever you hear that later on in life, you're like, Oh, I recognize this. And it's obviously from those classics. Truly. It yeah. takes you back. Um, I think a lot of people have probably more memories of Looney Tunes and those operas and the operas themselves. I mean, how many of us are frequently getting to the opera? It's not, <laughs> it's not a common person's thing. Okay. <laughs> and uh, speaking of the opera, we are going to talk about the long haired hair. This yes. was a Chuck Jones 1949 uh, art piece. I mean, I, I, do, should I call them episodes or should I call them 
animated shorts or I, I I feel like they're such artful like they're so artful mm-hmm. that I feel like I should be like and this piece from 1959 <laughs> or 1949 and you're like, starting off the level of pretentiousness <laughs> of your podcast immediately like if we're calling them episodes I I would say animated short because they're six minutes okay. that's festival runtime for a short yeah um but I think if you called them art pieces no one would be able to poo-poo. who's gonna be like it's not art like sit down of course it's art that's true and- <laughs> <laughs> the Oscars called them animated shorts. Uh, so, Long Haired Hair, you were advocate about us watching this one. Why... Why this one? Uh, when I asked my brother for some good Looney Tunes episodes to talk about on the show, okay. this was his very first selection. Okay. He was like, the one where he... Can we curse? Is this a PG card? What are we doing uh, on this podcast? I don't know yet. Okay, um, I'm going to keep it clean so that we keep your options open then. There we go. Um, So, it... The way Bugs Bunny messes with this man is so rude <laughs> and hilarious. Like, I feel... Like, when I think of, old, like old times anytime really like 50s back i always think like miss manners like we're polite and we don't yell and we maybe let bygones be bygones because we're decent people but bugs kind of proves that like that was not the mentality of the time or if it was that people were really eager to watch someone subvert that mentality because he the minute he's provoked he's like oh well that's it war let's do it i will destroy your <laughs> life because like if well, you think about the crimes like his banjo got messed up yes he and destroyed he, he him got publicly he got attacked three times that uh, is let's true. be fair so he obviously it's bugs bunny he has to be provoked um and for him to be not only his music is destroyed with the banjo mm. and then bugs's retort is oh he must not be a music fan and then he breaks out the harp <laughs> and he starts playing the harp. And then he, and then the guy like puts his head in the harp and closes it on him. And he's like, oh, clearly he doesn't like animals. And he like, he's still happy go lucky and like still wanting mm-hmm. to just have a good time and let's like have music going. So he busts out the trombone and starts playing that. And then uh, he gets tied, his ears get tied to a tree and he's like thrung up and down like a yo-yo and he he smacks his head so many times that yeah it, it angers him and he's obviously gonna evoke the name of the podcast of course you know this means war of course you of know course <laughs> this means war okay but see the thing about bugs bunny is you could tell his story in multiple the same story of bugs bunny in the same way and get very different reactions so the way you told it reasonable this is just a man who wants to practice his instrument and his neighbor's being a jerk, and he's coming over, and he's ruining that experience. But we know from the visual cues, right, when you when you look at thumbnails or the actual cartoon, what you're seeing is him progressively getting more ridiculous and provoking. So he, yes, the guy probably should have just been like, yo, I'm trying to practice. What if you gave me, like, half an hour to finish my rehearsal, and then you play whatever? There's obviously a better way for him to come about it. But Bugs, like, starts with a banjo. And then a freaking harp that he pulls out of his... How? Where did that harp come from? And then a tuba, and it's faced directly at the house. And he is just going on some loud band music. (laughs) If you've ever been in marching band, you know that stuff echoes so loud. Like, he's clearly trying to... 
he's clearly being like provoking back. Like he didn't initiate, but he's certainly willing to egg this on until the guy submits. Like he's he's the kind of jerk that people will go like, "Why are you messing with this poor bunny? Like what is wrong with you?" And the bunny's just snickering behind their back, like, "I got you." Uh, it's cruel, and I think that's what makes it enjoyable because I think it's kids. Kids aren't smart. It's not your fault, kids. You don't know yet. You're learning. You're developing. <laughs> but they're not smart. And so when they can get one up on somebody and they feel those first surges of power, I feel like that's kind of what Bugs Bunny represents for children is this idea of like, aren't I a, st- a sneak? What is? Oh, my God. Stinker. Aren't I a stinker? Yes. Aren't I a sure. stinker is, is classic na-na-na-na-na sort of behavior. Of course. But he has to get there. And I feel like even though he's being antagonistic near the end of those pulling instruments out of the rabbit hole, uh, at the beginning he was minding his own business, I Absolutely. Think. There was so, no reason there, for that man is, to charge over there like there that. There is a reason. <laughs> um, so he goes on to uh, start provoking him even more in the uh, the upper setting, which looks like a, an awful lot like the Hollywood Bowl. I'm pretty sure that was used as reference. Absolutely, um, when, he, when the uh, the baritone is singing mm. on stage, and it's a one man show. He's he's being conducted, but he's out there all alone, and that's got to be like nerve wracking moment. Sure, yeah, 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 and that's got to be nerve wracking on its own. But Bugs is there to antagonize because his uh, his sanctitude of music listening has been disrupted. <laughs> I wonder when the Hollywood Bowl was built, because this comes out 1940, what did you say? Uh, 1949. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, we obviously live in Los Angeles. I do not know when the Hollywood Bowl was built, but I like the idea of play. The, the thing that Looney Tunes does so well is they play on other people's joy. <laughs> It's like, it's acoustically sound. Ting! And it almost seems to be mocking the Hollywood Bulls. Like, ooh, perfect palace. Gotta mess with that. Like, they're always, they're always provoking, too, as artists. Um, which we'll talk again about later, how they frequently provoke Disney. Yes. <laughs> In little tiny ways. It's just fun. Acoustically perfect. The most memorable character piece mm. in this is when Bugs comes out as Leopold. And he starts conducting the performance out of the antagonizing, I forgot his name, but the antagonizing singer on stage. Yeah. Uh, something Jones, because Mr. Jones. Oh, yes, it is something Jones. <laughs> Mr. Jones. It's Giovanni Mr. Jones. That's what it is. Frankie and Perry just aren't in it. You're my swooner, dreamboat, lover boy. <laughs> May I have your autograph, please? Oh, may I? Oh, thank you, Mr. Jones. Oh, thank, thank you, Mr. Jones. <laughs> that ear braid with the lipstick. I love Bugs because he makes such an attractive woman. <laughs> I love when he slips into like his schoolgirl uniform or um, the opera breastplate skirt combo. It's just it's um, the way he's able to use people's desires against them. Yes, I think it's also hel- cruel and hilarious. <laughs> and there is that line in Wayne's World. Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when you dressed up as a girl? No, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I did. 
Um, so sticking with Leopold real quick, he is a character that is found in the Looney Tunes mobile app game uh, World of Mayhem, and I wanted to highlight that real quick. Um, he is a city character. He's a rare defender. His special attack is Takeover and Grand Finale, uh, both of which do a pretty sizable amount of damage. Um, his friendship is... Um, or adds a skill level of plus 10% attack, defense, and speed, while any artist tune is an ally. So that is a pretty good character to have on your team, and I know he's in my top eight. Ooh. He's in my top eight characters. So I have him ranked pretty high. I've just started playing, and I'm really looking forward to getting him so I can smash all the people, but specifically Elmer. I love one of his moves is, uh, I believe it's the grand finale, he's able to... Uh, musically turn everyone around and then they lose health. What? So yeah, he just like, just uh, runs, runs around them like really crazy. Um, so yeah, so moving into the next highlight of music in Looney Tunes, uh, we could not have this episode if we did not talk about What's Opera Doc. Hey, the um, best. That is another Chuck Jones cartoon. That one is from 1957. So almost a, a decade after Long Hair Hair. And uh, it's never been better than this episode. Be very quiet. I'm hunting rabbits. Kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit, kill the rabbit. Kill the rabbit. This episode, watching it, was so wild and then you have the golden dvd set and so that's got all of the commentary we got to listen to the original voice track recording which is guys if you if there was ever for whatever reason a doubt in your mind that the voice actors on this were masters of their craft you have to go listen to the original voice recording and see how jones directs them uh through some of these great lines uh it it's so impressive to hear the the variation, the subtle intonations they're able to give to set this off. Uh, and of course, we we talked a little bit about the backgrounds, the masterful art. Yes. It's kind of everything about it came together, even though it uh, was done quickly and on the cheap. So, real quick, I wanted to highlight uh, the two standout voice performances here, which is Mel, Mel Blanc as Bugs and Arthur Q. Bryan as Elmer. And Elmer... Uh, the, the voice of Elmer Fudd actually started out in radio and he was a singer. And so this episode wouldn't have been possible if he didn't have that background. So we're really thankful that he came up that way. Um, the layouts were done by Maurice Nobel. And uh, yeah, that's one of the highlights of the episode because of the blocking, the way the characters move in and out of the shades and uh, how some of their silhouettes even speak to the characters. Uh, obviously, like starts with a silhouette of Elmer's gigantic body on the side of a wall, which is... It's like a spotlight behind him, which creates this great like Viking silhouette with these huge bulking arms and like the claws of the devil from yeah, Fantasia. It's, it's very devilish. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And uh, it, it's not a representation of Elmer Fudd's scrawny little body at all. No. <laughs> but it's, it's so funny because of that. But what I like about, again, the everything that I do is a subtle commentary on something else. And I feel like the way it's spoofs opera and the idea like if you've ever met an actual opera singer my god they're 
first of all, hilarious. Second of all, no matter, like, we have a, a reputation for very fat opera singers in America. That's what we know. That's what we're familiar with. Even the big ones, like, their ab control is insane because they have to hold all of that air. Punch an opera singer in the step with permission. With permission. Be like, let me just push on. It's incredible. They're so muscular getting all of those notes out. But they're also a group of people who... Beyond actors love the spotlight, beyond actors love the drama. Um, and so they're kind of dweeby, but also they have these big, great personalities. And I love just using shadows to spoof on those big personalities and these kind of dweeby bodies. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's six minutes long, so it's tight. It takes the entire duration of a three-hour opera and condenses it real fast, but without missing any major beats. Um, some of the Okay, so we talked about how the backgrounds are very simple, uh, highly stylized, but gorgeous. They use a lot of block coloring to separate space and create the illusion of light on a stage, which I think is impressive. The sets look like they're sets from a theater, but like without ever feeling like you're looking, it's crazy. It doesn't feel like you're looking at a stage, but you could tell you could be like, I could reproduce that on a stage. That's brilliant. There's a level of technical skill that's happening. But to me, my favorite aspect of this episode is the humanization of Bugs. There's a line where Elmer's like, kill the rabbit. And Bugs clutches it to kill the rabbit. And like you, but at this point, Bugs has been around for almost 20 years. So everyone gets the joke. Like, you're a jerk. Like, this is the one thing he does is kill rabbits. Of course, he's after you. And so that innocent ploy, that first line sets you up to be like, what's Bugs going to do? And it creates such a sure. string of of tension and anticipation. But by far and away, the greatest character design is Fat Pony. Um, <laughs> I'm going to call her Melissa. Okay. She is radiant. Okay? As a fat person, I love Fat Melissa the pony. Um, the way she moves is not very fast. It's not very high off the ground, as Mr. Blank explained in the behind the scenes. Uh, big things don't go up or move quickly very well, okay? They move at their own speed and in their own way. And the way Pony sits down and then her whole behind, like, melts into the ground. It just plops and Bugs slides off gracefully. (laughs) It's perfect. And then they duplicate it because Bugs is a very lithe kind of thin creature. And so when he's in the female garb doing the romance song with Elmer and he's sitting in the chair he becomes like a liquid which is incredible like his body is completely meshed and melded into the chair and there's like creating that level of characterization is it's something that could easily be missed but is very challenging um artists start learning by designing real spatial things we think of cartoons as silly or easier to draw but in fact they're much harder because you don't have the rules and restrictions of physical space, of physics. You can do whatever. And you have to, as we'll talk later about some of these other iterations of the cartoon, I think one of the things that's been missing since these original shorts is the way they play with the body, the way they allow these characters to be cartoons and not hindered on the real world. There's something spectacular about it. It made it funny. In the six minutes we watched that short, I don't think we stopped laughing one time. Like the whole thing is hysterical. Other... It's, yeah, it's, there's there's a lot of funny visual cues mm. that are with throughout, and they're highlighted by the minimal dialogue and they're and the minimal. Um, obviously, they're singing throughout, 
but they're singing words that you already are familiar with. And so you're not learning any new information. So you're able to look at the visuals and study them even more. And whenever something subtle is like an eye glance or, you know, like the fourth wall break of Bugs grasping his chest and going, killed a wabbit. <laughs> and it's a- aimed at him and he's so offended. Um, you Like you you are, you know, relating to him and like you're, you're em- empathizing with mm-hmm. him. Um, t- uh, sorry, thank you no. for uh, staying on this topic. I, I was looking at the notes and I was like, oh, we need to get through so many things. But, um, yeah, what's opera doc is important. Um one of the things that we learned in the commentary was how Chuck Jones and the team were flying by the seat of their pants and yes. not really like thinking that this was a piece of art. They were just, you know, trying to do a job and, you know, trying to be funny. But at the same time, they, they thought Disney was where all of the Cadillac animation was. And uh, it was really interesting hearing them say that because people have put What's Opera Doc and a few of these other classic Looney Tunes shorts up with the great uh, Disney uh, animation, and yeah, they compared it to Snow White because mm-hmm. I believe Snow White and this were uh, Snow White is nineteen thirty something. Okay, so this was so it's earlier, 20, but then you have Sleeping after. Beauty comes not to nineteen fifty four. Don't quote me on these dates, but roughly <laughs> nineteen fifty four. Um, it takes that long between Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, but yeah, I mean, like going back and watching those the the Technical detail is what sells Disney, right? You have these pristine, straight lines, stained glass that looks like it's real. Like, oh my gosh. If you haven't watched these original, like, classic Disney princess movies in a while, like, go back. Oh my God. Breathtaking. Yeah. Sleeping Beauty definitely holds up. Oh gosh, yes. But what Looney Tunes does so well is that, I I like the way they describe themselves, like, we're professionals. Like, we came in, we did our job, we got out. Then they happen to hire some of the best people in the business to do it. And so while Disney may have taken a lot of time to create very beautiful, elaborate, detailed sets, they took caricatures of sets, sold you on them, made them beautiful, simple lines that I think probably encouraged a lot of young kids to become animators because looking at the artwork, Mm. there's a sense of accessibility to it. I don't know how Disney makes those grand frames, but I could probably do not anywhere near as good, but like a mock-up design of that opera stage and feel accomplished and feel like I was gaining on something. And I think that level of accessibility, the fact that it was television, which of course we know at the time television is only now a pristine art form. Back then it was considered the boob tube uh, (laughs) where you go to just get lost. And so um, the Academy didn't recognize it as great art. It took years for it to become considered a classic, but my God, watching it, you can't, it's hard to get over all the things are spoofing so well. And then again, those vocal performances are just, it's from the music to the actual spoken words, stellar. The Wagner music aspect of it really stands out because that was something that they had already done. They, uh, they tackled an earlier uh, cartoon uh, written by the same person, uh, Michael Maltese. He had already written uh, sort of a, a parody of Wagner, uh, with that uh, earlier Bugs episode with where Hitler he's, in it? it's the const- the German constable yeah, yeah. Uh, that he's like running around and like uh, <laughs> pulling antics on, uh, which is also funny. But uh, Michael Maltese, who also wrote this and the songs for this, uh, that original one didn't have songs. So there was a lot to elaborate on that idea of the opera and what that would look like in a parody version. Maybe this is why I like parody so much, because 
growing up with Looney Tunes, like you don't even realize that it's parodying something, but you know that you're familiar with it in some way. Of course, I heard Kill the Rabbit before I heard dun 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 dun. Exactly. I, I know Kill the Rabbit beforehand. So it's like, yeah, like we were saying earlier, it's just a wonderful introduction to classic things. It gives you an entry point. And again, that level of accessibility, which I think can't ever be overlooked it's what makes tv great it's what made people like mr rogers great was the fact that they were just in your living room and you could revisit it multiple times and therefore it has a higher educational value than back then movies no vhs y'all didn't exist like you saw it in the theater and then it was done you tried to cling to the memory of it maybe there's a retrospective where they screen it again but for the most part you saw movies once or twice while they were in the theater and then it was gone and so to have something like this that you could revisit that was only six minutes long that children could get into um well ironically to speak to that long-haired hair and what's opera dog played before movies right back in the day so these were the pre-show uh, entertainment uh, for adults and kids and everyone that was in the theater. So the fact that we have them in a collection today mm. and a- and accessible today, mi- you know, minus YouTube and like where, you know, they're not uh, currently available, um, but they're, they're out there. Like you can streaming or you can buy them on Amazon. Right. There's, a, there's a lot of ways to get access to them. They should still be shared. They should still be seen as these educational tools. I thought it was interesting when we were watching the um, behind the scenes stuff was uh, the way they're talking about like we made cartoons for adults. And it's a tradition that it got me thinking about other cartoons. SpongeBob has moments that are so clearly for an adult audience and not mm-hmm. at all for the children that it typically entertains. Um, I, I like this idea of adult cartoons that have the space to be silly. I feel like a lot of our cartoons today go for crass or very heartwarming. Nothing wrong with either. can be very enjoyable. But there's something about this middle zone that speaks to not just all ages, but sort of an inappropriate space inside everybody. Of like, <laughs> you can't do that. I really, I truly think the, the jerk aspect of Bugs is what makes him so indelible so endurable we we like watching him because he does things like we can never do like we cannot just be out here yelling at our neighbors without strict consequences but he's Uh, so cool about it yeah yeah i mean he's laying back he's chill and to quote speedy gonzalez from an uh, episode of the looney (laughs) Tunes show which we're about to talk about i want to hang out that with that guy i want to party with that guy yeah he he has that attitude he has that uh that suaveness Mm. that you look for in a a leading character there's a level of unbothered i think that speaks to a lot of the cowboy um heroes that were popular at the time yeah Oh, absolutely agree. Um, so, are you uh, are you done with? Um, yeah, I think we got it off. Check Elmer Fudd's eyebrows because the animation <laughs> in uh, what's Opera Doc, the expressions, the way his when Bugs clutches his chest, his shirt wrinkles, but he's not wearing a shirt, so it's just his skin, but it feels like a shirt material. That's the t- the breaking of, of boundaries and walls. It's it's subtle, but it's genius. Oh, and I, I have to uh, pull out the. Uh, Bye. Bye. <laughs> that so- Mel Blank had to do so many times to to get just the right inflection. Uh, bye. Bye. <laughs> Perfection. All right. Uh, moving on, we are going to talk about the Looney Tunes show from 2011. Yes. You probably get this all the time, but will you say it? I'm kind of in a hurry. Please, just one time. <sighs> I like it. Do you mind, will you say it for my outgoing message? I like it. Oop, was it recording? One more time? I like it. Woohoo! I like it! 
I'm not sure I like it. Uh, this was a specific episode you wanted us to highlight because mm-hmm. it has a song in it. Yes. And going back to just a couple of seconds ago, you were talking about how adult cartoons lean into heartwarming. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this one had that heartwarming staple at the end of it that kind of wrapped everything around it mm-hmm. in a better bow than what was there before. Yeah, this episode gets progressively better. And this is the thing. Okay, so where to start? Looney Tunes, as it evolved, had to find a new way to be original. You were not going to do what Mel Blank did. You weren't going to be able to do what, oh my God, I'm the worst with names, the director. Chuck Jones? Chuck Jones. We don't have a second Chuck Jones. <laughs> we don't have one. So trying to duplicate that look, that feel of what they're doing, I really think it it's futile. I don't think you're ever going to get it. You might come close, but it won't give you the satisfaction you were getting out of the originals. And the originals are there. They're enjoyable. So if we're going to keep these characters alive, which of course they're going to do, they want to keep their IP, we have to find ways to evolve. This is where the Looney Tunes show comes in. Now we have a ton of iterations. We have Tiny Tune Adventures, uh, Baby Looney Tunes, uh, the Bugs Bunny Show, the Lunatics. Tons of iterations. Wabbit. Why? Yes. Uh, which, I've seen a couple episodes of Wabbit. I like it, it, it didn't sell me. What sold me on this was the idea of... <laughs> to quote Bugs from this episode. I, I like, like it. it. <laughs> uh, I like it. It's good. Um, <laughs> but it it took Looney Tunes, made it again for adults in a format that children could enjoy, but placed it in a modern world. Now, before we are dealing with a lot of like what essentially looks like a fantasy land, um, you're always in a forest, a big mountaintop. Landscapes were sort of our background pieces. So how do the animals, plus Elmer Fudd, operate <laughs> in the city? And what does that look like? And if you think we have Zootopia, we have a ton of like animals living in urban environments now that sort of works and explores tech upgrades. It explores um, inner city like politics in a way that I think is really interesting. Gossamer is so clearly coded as black in this episode that it makes my whole heart swell. His mom is a witch, but she's black, which could have been a hor- a horrible like exploration, but instead they made it that people were like afraid or concerned about who she was. They were like, oh, you know, uh, Daffy at one point is like, oh, you're a witch. You can do anything, which... For black women, a lot of times we're like, you're black girl magic. Like, just do it. You can't. Of course you can. Like, that stuff is exhausting. So it becomes a commentary then on single black motherhood. And what does it take to to provide your son with a positive masculine influence when you're a woman and you don't have, like, a partner, a live-in partner that can give that to your child? That's my baby. I think, like, going to a neighbor, particularly one like Bugs, who is cool, that everyone wants to hang around, who's confident, but not necessarily an outright jerk. Bugs is much more toned down in this series than he's probably ever been before, um, except when it comes to Daffy. Uh, I, I think it created a beautiful storyline. I think that while the show never reached perfection, the things it was trying to do, the way it was trying to blend the old Looney Tunes with a new world the idea of Bugs and Daffy being roommates. Like, why are these two always hanging around each other? They do not like each other. Oh. Well, it's the, the classic odd couple. Like, that's, I don't that's like what... a classic odd couple. And this is a personal. <laughs> so there's nothing about that trope that doesn't work. Obviously, it sells for a reason. But 
I don't like it because if I don't like somebody, I'm gone in a minute. Like, right. I, why would I spend time with somebody I don't like? But the idea of, I've certainly had people who maybe weren't blood, but felt like family. Who I'm like, oh my God, get in here. Come on, we're going to help you out and it's going to be okay. Like, we're just going to figure this out. And that's sort of where Bugs' position is in this show. He's like, Daffy, d- come live here. You don't have to be homeless. We're going to figure it out. But also, Daffy's still, like, his annoying little brother. And there's something so gooey and positive and heartwarming. And I think, as much as I love the original Looney Tunes show, as much as I think that there's value in it, we know that kids pick up messages from what they watch. I mean, it's Mr. Rogers' whole endeavor was to create a positive space for children to better understand themselves. Now, not every show necessarily needs to do this, but I, I think the wave we've been seeing post the Looney Tunes show, shows like um, Steven Universe and um, uh, Craig of the Creek, these kinds of animated shows that are really aimed at touching children's hearts and engaging their minds about how they can be more thoughtful in the world, hold so much value. And so to watch Gossamer, a giant literal monster, be picked on continuously and and his feelings are really hurt and yet he never gets down to it. like we never see gossamer wallow we never see him give up we never see him throw his face he's like you know what i think i just i want to sing i feel confident in that and i'm gonna <laughs> just very, try it he's very optimistic and he's willing to try a bunch of things like that's oh, what a beautiful message for children it is i i would like to actually start with um let's let's do a quick synopsis of this episode okay yeah um so it's called monster talent show i yes. believe and uh, it follows Gossamer, uh, the son of Witch Hazel, and he is getting picked on at the school. And uh, we see that uh, Daffy wants to take him under his wing and kind of give him some advice on how to be cool in school. Which, obviously, if uh, Daffy, the, the yeah, the character of Daffy isn't he doesn't know a lot about being cool. He has literally no cool. Whereas uh, the B plot to this is Bugs Bunny and Porky Pig go out to uh, the restaurant owned by Speedy Gonzalez. I believe it's Pizza Arriba. Arriba, yeah. And uh, they order a pizza, and he and Speedy comes by with a frozen a frozen pizza that has been cooked, mm. and it's, it's like try this one. And Bug says, I like it after ta- taking a bite. And Speedy's like, okay, I want you in my commercial. So Bugs reluctantly says yes and does a commercial where he says, I like it. And then uh, the rest of the episode plays out. Um, so the Gossamer, the A-line, the A-storyline is very... Um, what, I, what I think the writers are doing here is they're presenting a culturally relevant piece mm. which i am i, I commend like I, I think it does a really good job of presenting that culture pre- presenting the the societal uh normalities that shouldn't be normal like picking on somebody mm-hmm. uh just because they're different like we shouldn't be doing that um and uh for me the comedy didn't always hit because i felt it was too wordy mm. i felt that the 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 words got in the way of the visuals. But what I find interesting is how they translated those wacky visuals from the classics into wacky scenarios where Daffy can like constantly tries to get him into wrestling or tries to get him into um, like uh, juggling uh, flaming flaming chainsaws, chainsaws, (laughs) which obviously doesn't make any sense. It's a wacky visual, but it's, accented by the fact that they're doing this in Bugs Bunny's house and then Bugs Bunny's house catches on fire. And it, it's just these random scenarios that make it 
enjoyable, but separate it from the classic. If I was to give it a note, I would say make it shorter. Yeah, we I think it would that work story from in... a three-minute uh, or four-minute thing. You can go three. You can even go eleven because that it was. How long was it? I think it's a half-hour episode, which means we're looking at about twenty-two minutes. Was it really? Yeah, I think so. I could be. Don't quote again. Don't quote me on anything numbers-wise. I think so. <laughs> it's much longer. Whatever it was, it could have been halved properly. Yeah. Um. So maybe ten minutes. But I, I do enjoy the way it showed. It was sort of a grass is greener episode where it's Gossamer is like I'm uncool. And I'm trying to find a way to engage with my school community where Bugs is, I'm effortlessly cool. And now the community has turned its back on me because I won't constantly perform for them. Also, how great for a voice actor to be like uh, telling, basically telling an audience, please don't ask me to say lines over and over again for your entertainment. That's work. I don't want to be walking around just saying anything. I thought whoever's doing the voice for that um, Bugs, she's probably the same guy that always does it. Um, I, I cannot be a thousand percent sure. Um, but I, I enjoyed the way that they explored both things. Cause I think when we want to be cool or when we have an image of being cool, especially as children, it's, Oh, everybody wants to be around me and everybody respects me and I'm, I'm well loved and I don't have to fear that when I walk into a room, I'm awkward or uncomfortable. But even people who are perceived as cool can become uncomfortable when a public demands their attention you know neither side is great and so for bugs to be his rescuer at the end gossamer sings his poor little heart out it is so beautiful my name is gossamer and i'm gonna sing Remembering September in the rain, I love the way they use jazz music in the same way they use classical music and jazz music back in the day to illustrate uh, different stories to kids. They use a jazz song in this piece. Um, the opening song is, the title song is also a jazz piece. Um, and at the end, Gossamer sings, and the audience is like, oh, we don't know. Even his mom is like, well, I don't want to embarrass him by being the only one clapping. Like, do I clap? And then, I like it. And he applauds. <laughs> and that cool, effortless energy is able to be transferred to Gossamer, who now feels included. And it's this idea that we can help one another um, just by being ourselves. And what a good, such a beautiful message. It's a wonderful message. Jeff Bergman is the voice of Bugs. Jeff. And Daffy. Oh, damn. Jeff did work on this cartoon. <laughs> Let me tell you. Uh, the Bugs and Daffy relationship in this series is my favorite version of their relationship because it okay. feels authentic. It's not. It's not just mean. I don't like mean things, guys. Uh, I like slasher movies and I like romance. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like the Odd Couple? But uh, when it, whenever it's Bugs and Daffy. In this scenario, I like because they're not. They're at different spaces, but they're trying to work toward similar goals. And I think. That goal is just, can we have a happy relationship? It's a struggle for both of them. They're both trying to be themselves. But I think there's 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 opportunities that the show uses to show how they respect and love one another, even when they're on each other's nerves. I think there's value in that. So, yes, an odd couple story can be <laughs> done well, and I can enjoy it, but not always. Sure. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't seen the Looney Tunes show, uh, we found that it is available on... Prime. Uh, Amazon Prime for I think like one ninety nine or something like an episode yeah yeah 
I think by the end of this, I might be sold. Maybe this entire podcast will just be me like being try or trying to be sold on this show, and then me finally coming over or, or around <laughs> to it. Um, because you're not the only one that I've talked to that has a reverence for it. So there's going to be other voice, uh, or there's other guests on this podcast that are going to talk highly about it. To me, it's a, it has a very fandom feel to it. And man, do I love some fan fiction! I, I love when we take characters out of the spaces where we're familiar with them and keep their personalities intact, but inject them into a new environment. And in our current environment, Bugs can't be as big of a jerk, but he can be as effortlessly effortlessly cool. And I think that there's something that works about that. Very well said. Uh, speaking of effortless, effortless... We don't know that it. word. <laughs> effortlessly? Yes. Speaking of fan fiction... <laughs> There we go. Uh, we're going to dive into Tiny Toons for just a second. Not, not the entire series. We're going to do that That's on a later much. podcast. Um, but Tiny Toons had a specific episode <laughs> called Tiny Toon Music Music TV. Uh, this was from 1991, obviously produced by Steven Spielberg. And this had two songs from They Might Be Giants. And uh, what was the other one? Aretha Franklin's Are- Respect. Oh, yes. Respect. And then there's a final song that I don't remember what it is. Uh, but this had the classic Istanbul section. Not Constantinople. Istanbul was Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Been a long time gone. Constantinople, now it's Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, not Constantinople. So if you believe in Constantinople, <laughs> and uh, that became famous uh, and is still trending today on, on YouTube. Um, Spectacular. So uh, this is just, I mean, it's classic Tiny Tunes. Like you get, uh, you get little segments with bugs. And, you know, he's a teacher in this world. I just think that's so fascinating and, and such a wonderful play on that. Um, so Buster and Babs are uh, his students. Um, no relation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buster is going into this world building uh, class, I guess, where he's looking at a machine and it's very um, Fantasia-like. Yes. Where... Bugs is the teacher. Bugs is the wizard. And he knows exactly how to do everything. And he um, actually plucks Plucky into a scenario where he's being being bombarded by things dropping out of air. But it's all set to music. And it's classical music. And it's very well done. No dialogue. And they tell this story of Buster trying to become the master and failing at it and getting in trouble. And it's the classic... Uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice story from Fantasia. So it was really great seeing that uh, translated into the Looney Tunes and um, Tiny Tunes specifically. Uh, But this entire episode had four different pieces to it. Uh, It was obviously a parody of MTV. Yes. And including Buster's really great uh, MTV jockey like personality (laughs) persona. He has like a red leather jacket on and he speaks kind of gruffer, but like way cool, man. And it's like very nineties. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, So Buster and Babs are the hosts and they are going through these vignettes of the other characters in a music video. Uh, the first one is uh, Istanbul. Lives in Istanbul, not Constantinople. So if you believe in Constantinople, she'll be waiting in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have an entire thing in the Middle East uh, where they are um, just, I guess, being chased, or they're they're kind of like doing so their own thing. Here's what I find really interesting about this episode: is it's like it's an animated music video of a song that doesn't necessarily need to make sense. Uh, you've got, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, 
Perfect for Looney Tunes, by the Who's way. Who's the duck? Not Daphne. Plucky. Plucky. So Plucky is uh, running around. Try. He's. It starts off in a very uh, uh, Indiana Jones esque, like we're hanging out in a desert bar and we're detectives and we're cool. And somebody comes in and they're like, "Hey, someone's stealing this jade statue of a duck." And he's like, "I'm on the case." And so they're trying to get it back from the people who stole it. And at the end of it, uh, Plucky breaks the statue. And so instead of like trying to put it back together or clonking him on the head, he becomes the statue because he's a green duck. And he just takes the statue's place. He has to stand uh, in one space for a long time. It doesn't have anything to do really with the song. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Istanbul, not Constantinople. Out of Constantinople, get the works. That's nobody's business but the Turks. Listen, We Might Be Giants was the theme to my high school experience. We used to listen to it in the green room before we went on stage. So I have like a, a really warm spot in my heart for this particular song. Um, Wonderful. I'm glad you could revisit that. Me too, dude. I feel like, uh, yeah, it was funny because the Buster makes a comment like, who are these guys when We Might Be Giants gets a second song in the show? Um I like that it just seems like fanboys were like, oh, we could just make music videos for songs? Bet. Let's just do that as an episode. <laughs> and it works. And it also seems to be taking um, such hints for music videos at the time. If you think about um, Michael Jackson's Remember the Time comes out like 1988, 1991, something like that. It's big production. It's set in the past. It's like high polished. Uh, I think Spike Jones directed that. Don't sue me. I'm sorry. Um, but it that's the kind of video you get with Istanbul. Yeah. Uh, remember the time has nothing to do with Egypt. It doesn't matter. It was cool. And I, I love that they were able to imbue that in a way because kids couldn't watch MTV. It was too sexy. Parents didn't like it. It's true. It was very stylized and it had these classic characters. I mean, like they become instant classic, mm-hmm. like instant characters that you, you like uh, as soon as Tiny Toons started. So yeah. like every, like all of these characters you loved and it had a bomb opening theme song. Um, that we were singing as it was playing because yes, it it's still memorable and like in, in the back mm-hmm. of our heads all the time. Um, so, and then we also had a Monty song uh, about money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need And so you get that great moment where at the end of the video, uh, after singing very soulfully for like two and a half minutes, he gets tired, a la James Brown, like buckles. He has a butler come out and drape him with the cape and he walks away. And then without moving the camera, they let him like walk a few paces back and then do that turnaround where he whips the cape out of the way. The butler exits scene left and he just comes strutting back with all of that energy. And then behind him are these big piles of money. And it gives like such a great space for James Brown to be a part of the MTV generation. I mean, imagine if James Brown were part of the, he probably would be like Maximilian. Like I'm big (laughs) and I'm popular, but I'm still short, but I'm amazing. Uh, It worked. It was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, and then we had the Aretha Franklin respect. With yes. uh, Babs uh, Which popping out been... of a surgery. <laughs> <laughs> popping out of a guy's stomach in surgery. She starts respecting a library, which is ironic and hilarious. Uh, you have to be quiet in a library. Respect is not a quiet song, but it would Shout be respectful out. if you were quiet in a library. Shout out to the woman in the library that looked a lot like Paul Dini. Yes. Because uh, Paul Dini <laughs> from the uh, the Batman animated series, which I love, and I also mm-hmm. you know love Tiny Toons and 
those uh, creative team, that creative team from Tiny Toons moved over to Batman. That's why you'll see a lot of Tiny Toons comics uh, while, while the guards are like supposed to be watching Arkham. They're reading <laughs> Tiny Toons. <laughs> what a wonderful tidbit. So it's great. Uh, Paul Dini and uh, uh, Tim, Bruce Tim. Yes. Are, uh, both, both from that. Oh, and uh, Alan, Alan Burnett. It, it was not to love about Tiny Toons. They're kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, at, at, on a uh, on a sourful note, mm-hmm. uh, we had the passing of Gordon Bresick. Uh, he was a award winning animation writer, uh, who worked on Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Pinky Elmira and the Brain. Uh, that was in 2000. Wow, I'd never seen that. And uh, and also on Tiny Toons. Uh, unfortunately, he left us at 68. Oh, but, too um, soon. Wanted to throw a, a little respect his way, since we're talking about respect. <laughs> um, so now I want to throw it over to our sponsors over at Acme. Uh, Acme, it's where you get your anvils. Hello and welcome to Acme. How can I help you? Yes, the flies in my house have become quite a problem. They're the size of Tyrannosaurus Rex. How do I get rid of them? Oh, well, we have a we have a great deal on our uh, fly strips. You can get uh, five for one, and uh, they will uh, they'll catch all the flies that you got, and uh, you'll be fly free from then on. Five for one is a great deal, but won't I get all sticky? Well. Every Acme product comes with a special guarantee that it will defect on you. So, yes, you will. It seems worth it. Goodbye, Tyrannosaurus flies. Come on down to Acme and find all of your fly-repellent products. We got them all. And we're back. What did you think of that commercial? It's summertime. The flies are a problem. But Acme is here to protect us. They're here to save us. I mean, Acme's got a good track record of actually hurting the people who buy the products. Damn it, now I'm second guessing purchasing this product. It's summertime and the flying is not easy. We shall conclude this episode. Oh, so great. I will close the WhatsApp doc for the day. And uh, we will. That big uh, book that Porky sometimes closes at the end. Oh, do, yes. Do, 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 well, no, do, I actually do, call do, this do. the WhatsApp doc. Oh, 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 because it's a document. It's, it's a document yeah. that I'm looking to. It's. 8.30. No, six, it's not even 6.30. It's time for me to go to bed. And, uh, yes, so, Joelle, what do you have coming up? What do you want to plug? Ooh. You get to plug something for being a guest on the show. Thank That's you. That's so great, yeah. Thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, using a holiday weekend to talk about Looney Tunes is the greatest gift uh, I could be given right now such an escape hooray uh just go listen who knows what's gonna be happening in 30 days or 60 days or tomorrow even i don't so go to my twitter it's just at joelle monique it's super easy to find it's j-o-e-l-l-e-m-o-n-i-q-u-e anything you need to know is going to be labeled right there for you and you can follow us on this is podcast on twitter instagram and facebook you can follow me at the dark pilgrim on twitter and Please stay tuned because we are going to dive deep into Taz next week. Ooh. Uh, because he was just released in the game World of Mayhem. And I cannot wait to talk about this character. I hope your guest he, has a 90s tattoo of Taz. He, I will do my best to find <laughs> yes. one. He is just such a funny character to talk about. And one of my favorite lines, I'm going to spoil it for you, is... 
Wherefore you bury me in the cold, cold ground? <laughs> Classics. I just love it. That is not all, folks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>